welcome. You are listening to Zeal Fear House. I am your host, David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Her focus here is on our relationship with our Heavenly Dad and all aspects of His kingdom, moving in greater intimacy with Him. Additional teachings, books, and articles may be found on my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and let's get rolling with this week's broadcast. This is uh, David Murray, Zeal for Your House. I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers on Blog Talk Radio. Dorothy, how are you? You staying cool out there in Connecticut? I'm trying. Got the old air conditioner just beating away. <laughs> I always feel, uh, I, I always have uh, great empathy for everyone that wills in this weather because I don't, I don't really, I'm one of those weirdos. I don't know. I, the, the cold doesn't bother me and the heat doesn't bother me. So, um, you know, I uh, I kind of that's kind of rare. So um, I feel for you because my mom is also very similar, and and uh, she's right around the corner from us, and she cannot stand this type of weather. So I need to go check on my mom and dad later on. I'll probably be back over there. So you stay cool, Dorothy. Don't move around too much. Press the buttons with minimal movement. We have to do stuff over okay. there. Okay. <laughs> well, tonight we're going to be talking about guys walking in wise counsel. Um. The Lord's been laying on my heart. Uh, one of the things that I've shared with you guys and I've been speaking to and writing a lot on in the body of Christ is the necessity, one of the things that God is doing in this season uh, and he is building in 2017. I'm not going to get off into too much of a dog dog leg, but he is setting the stage for um, an increase in wisdom to be poured out in this generation. Now, here's the thing, guys. When I talk about walking in wise counsel, when we talk about wisdom, there are different veins, there are different aspects. Uh, in the same way that house is built based upon four foundations, uh, or going back to ancient times, four pillars, uh, four cornerstones, and a capstone. When we speak about wisdom, we often talk about information that's brought forth. And that is an aspect of wisdom. But for us to walk in the wisdom that comes with great unity and great insight from the mind of God, we need to be very well-rounded in, in our wisdom. And we're going to get into what that means. We're going to get into how important that is and what that looks like. It's not enough for us to be wise in certain areas and to not apply that wisdom or apply the mind of Christ in other areas because we become very lopsided in our walk. We become lopsided in our counsel. And one of the things the Lord is doing is raising up people in this generation who can teach and instruct the body of Christ from, from among us. And what do I mean from among us? Uh, there has been – I'm very big, as most of you know, on uh, church history, uh, and I studied for quite a bit church reformation. Ever since the 1500s, when the gospel was kind of taken out of hiding, Satan did a great job of almost extinguishing the gospel entirely. And it uh, became known as the Dark Ages. If you look at the Dark Ages, the reason why they were the Dark Ages is because there was very little revelation of God's light. The world walked in almost a complete and utter lack of the mind of Christ and the heart and mind of the Lord. If you look at worldwide what was taking place, there was 
very little light of God's nature. The Holy Spirit was not able to move through the world very freely through the body of Christ. Uh, and that was part of a demonic assignment to try to remove the gospel, which, of course, we know is never going to happen. Anyway, when we came out of that, the Reformation, there was the releasing of the gospel. And we have held on to a lot of those standards today. And in those standards that are not based upon the kingdom of God is that people lead from the top. And our job is to listen to them and they rule over the rest of the body of Christ. Scripturally speaking, those that go on before the Lord and go and, and, and answer the call that's on the Father's heart for every generation to grow up into full maturity, they support the younger believers, spiritually younger believers, from underneath. And as a group, as a family, we together are looking toward the throne room. We're reflecting upon Jesus in our heart, Jesus in our corporate myths, and, and those that allowed themselves to be trained through correction, through loving rebuke, through discipline, through exhortation, through teaching, through the word, through sound doctrine, through discipleship, through the training of the Holy Spirit, are then able to guide and pass that on or offer those wisdom and insights to the next spiritual generation. That's eldership. That's discipleship. Uh, it's leading, it's serving from underneath and supporting people unto the Lord and pointing them to the throne room. So one of the things, that, the purpose of, okay, what is the purpose and what does it have to do with wise counsel? Well, one, be encouraged because the Lord is releasing more of this in this hour. Uh, wisdom is not the same as revelation. There is a, a tremendous revelation in the end times of the kingdom of God, of how his kingdom functions. If we look to different circles, depending upon what some things draw upon our spirit, we will see a great increase in revelation in this hour. The problem is that the way Satan has attacked that revelation is there has become a stranglehold on wisdom. Revelation without wisdom will always pervert the gospel. It will, it will always twist and distort God's kingdom God's spiritual laws, God's nature, and whatever he's attempting to bring forth in the body of Christ will become thwarted and ultimately will not um, be passed on to the next generation. And uh, that's very important. If we look at every reformation, every uh, revival, every outpouring, these different words, different people have uh, different, you know, uh, are familiar with different terms. From the 1500s, you will see the Holy Spirit has given revelation to the body of Christ. And those willing vessels moved in revelation to the degree that that generation did not move by the wisdom of God. The revelation was squandered, and the church would atrophy away from that revelation. And that's taken place um, since the Holy Spirit came to, be, uh, came to the earth, since the institution of the New Covenant. Uh, but in the last several hundred years, we've seen that the United States is really suffering from that. And the Lord has said enough. And, you know, one of the things he is doing in this generation, he's doing a, ma a major theme of it in 2017, is he is lifting, he is uprooting, and he is replanting. Um, people that have places of influence that are not yielding to the Spirit of God in his love, in his tenderness, in his fierce faithfulness to everyone. He is removing certain people to, to other places, and he is decreasing sphere of influences, and he is increasing mantles and sphere of influences on those that's hearts are sold out only for what the Lord has on his heart. And they will be the servants that we will begin seeing and hearing more and more of. 
a common denominator that you will hear and see and perceive on these people that we are all called to walk in is that they will understand how to walk in the counsel of wisdom. And they will also know how to offer wise counsel and how to seek themselves wise counsel. So two things we're going to be talking about. That's my my 10-minute preface. What is the purpose of wise counsel and how do we sit in the counsel of wisdom? These are foundational um, key points in operating by the Spirit of God and that operate in the kingdom. The Spirit of wisdom is a cornerstone of how the kingdom operates. Okay, so what is the purpose of wise counsel? Number one, let's look up two key words, wisdom and counsel. Strong's 4678 says that wisdom is insight, it is skill, human or divine intelligence. Okay, so we're, gonna, we're going to talk about James uh, chapter 5, I think, talks about there's two types of wisdom, right? There's a carnal wisdom, right? A fallen, darkened thinking wisdom or application intelligence. We are interested in the divine intelligence. So we're talking about true wisdom. So wisdom, the definition of wisdom is insight, skill, and divine intelligence. Counsel is, by definition, a strong circle, company, consultation, fellowship, or friendship. That is a counsel, okay? Consultation, fellowship, friendship, or inner circle of company. The purpose, okay, the purpose of wise counsel or fellowship that offers divine intelligence is just that. The, the purpose of wise counsel is to have fellowship that brings us and brings with that communion divine intelligence. This allows us to walk in agreement with the heart of the Father. This is a doorway to great intimacy. There are several doorways or gateways or gates that I talk about, that the scriptures talk about. The word door and gates and gateways is all throughout the scriptures. All throughout the scriptures you will see those terms used. And one of the ways to the throne room of greater intimacy is walking in wise counsel. Wherever we see a lack of wisdom, we will see a lack of intimacy. There's no way around it. It is very, very difficult to walk in great intimacy with the Lord if we do not begin to seek walking in wise counsel. Some scriptures. Uh, Psalm 119, 24. Your testimonies are also my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 73, 24. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterwards receive me to glory. Psalm 33, 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. And there's two of my favorite verses in Proverbs 16 and Proverbs 19. Uh, they're sister verses. In their hearts, man plans their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And, and Proverbs, that's Proverbs 16. In Proverbs 19, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And one of the things that I enjoy about those two verses in Proverbs 16 and 19, it's talking about the great intimacy and the great plans that are inside the soul of man. But it is the Lord in the end that will direct our path, and it is the Lord in the end, his sovereignty, 
his wisdom that ultimately is the guide and the north star. It is the counsel of the Lord that stands forever. It is the Lord that establishes our steps. They're just beautiful verses, and uh, and they those are examples of where counsel, where the Lord seeks for us to walk in counsel, and where David acknowledges the counsel of the Lord and the importance of that intimacy with Him, with seeking fellowship that leads to divine intelligence or divine impartation. Right? That's just a fancy way of saying when we have intimacy with the Lord his heart and his mind is revealed to us. And in his heart and his mind is everything. Omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. We don't become God. We commune with the one who is all those things. Okay, so a couple of things that I want to show you here under how do we sit with wisdom, okay, because I know some of you guys already have questions about that. We're going to get into that. So how exactly do we sit at one of the things that I love is, and I adore in their proper perspective is the Old Testament, right, which is from Genesis to Malachi, not just the law, right? There, we've talked about this before. There are seven different covenants, major covenants given before the, the new covenant. There are six other major covenants other than the Mosaic law covenant. And the Old Testament is great because it shows us the heart of God in action. The Bible is progressive revelation. So we always take the Old Testament and we use it to flesh out a principle, a revelation, a wisdom and insight that is shared under the new covenant. And one of the things that, that always touches me very deeply is, is the book of Kings. Um, and in First Samuel 16, before we get into 2 Kings 6, let's look at First Samuel 16. That's where the Lord goes to tell Samuel to anoint David as the king to replace Saul. And the Lord says to Samuel, 16 verse 4, So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now sanctify yourselves. What stands out to me and always stood out to me was that when the elders saw the prophet Samuel coming, who was the last judge before the king was instituted, the, 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 the government position of the king, who was to be led by the Lord, was that when the elders saw them, they revered the counsel and the wisdom and the authority in which Samuel walked in as a prophet so much and as a man of God they trembled at his coming because they knew that when Samuel came, he brought the kingdom. He brought the holiness and the sanctification of the kingdom. And when Samuel came to a place, he divided that which was the father's kingdom to that which was not. And the elders respected that, and they trembled at his coming, wanting to know if, they were, if he was coming to pronounce correction upon them or if they were safe and he was coming in peace. And they asked him, do you come peacefully? He's like, yes, I come, I come in peace. Fast forward. Uh, let's see. Probably a couple of hundred years later. Let me think about that. Yeah, a couple of hundred years later. To 2 Kings 6.32. This is the life of Elisha. And this was during the time 
um, when you have Israel and Judah really turning away from the Lord. And you have um, Jehoram, the son of the Ahab, is king. Um, he is not doing really any better of a job as being king. And he really has turned most of the nation apostate. And here's something that's very remarkable that I want to show you guys in 2 Kings 6.32, talking about sitting in wise counsel. Verse 32. Okay. Now, what happened when the king, now, now what happened is Elisha had pronounced a certain uh, judgment that was to come. And when King Jehoram heard about it, um, he was upset. When he began looking and seeing and walking out over his city and began seeing and hearing of the atrocities that were taking place because this rebellious nation was turned away from God, that the hand of God's protection was lifted. They were experiencing famine, drought. They were experiencing judgment by being under siege. And when the king heard these things, he was very upset. And instead of repenting, he began to blame the prophet. He began to blame the one who actually was walking in light and was trying to get them to turn and repent, to experience the full kingdom life that they were meant to live. It says, then he said, now being a king, God do so with me and be even more so if the head of Elijah, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. Verse 32, but Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. It's not the sound of his master's feet behind him. In other words, by the, the word of knowledge, whether Elisha saw a vision or, or was a word spoken to him, he knew that King Jehoram had sent a messenger um, to Elisha to pronounce a judgment and, and was threatening to imprison him and ultimately uh, execute him. That Elisha was in his house and the elders of Israel were sitting with the man of God. They were sitting in wise counsel. And just as Samuel, when the elders saw Samuel approaching a few hundred years earlier, they recognized wise counsel. They yielded to it. They respected the authority of the Spirit of God moving through someone who was yielded to the wisdom of God, who moved in the authority of God. What we see here a couple of hundred years later was the breakdown of society in Israel. You have King Ahab, who's one of the most wicked kings to ever live, that God never stopped trying to grab a hold of Ahab's heart. It's a, one of the most beautiful, tragic stories of the, of the time of the kings. The Lord constantly attempted to woo Ahab, and he just would not have the courage to stand up against the idolatry and the witchcraft of his wife Jezebel. We see his son taking the throne, and the elders recognizing the king doesn't walk in the authority he was meant to walk in by being a godly man. And they're sitting in the house of the prophet, keeping counsel with Elisha. That just chokes me up. What we're seeing here in 2 Kings 6.32, guys, is the end of a generation. That is the last time the elders are ever recorded having intimate fellowship with a man of God. After this time, moving forward up until the captivity, the closest we ever come to that is the king visiting Jehoshaphat in secret because he was afraid of the elders. And 
the reason why this stands out to me, and the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because we live in a generation today where those that are meant to be elders, and well, first of all, all of us are called to grow up into maturity, which is by definition an elder, understanding righteousness. But those that have placed to speak to the body of Christ, instead of sitting in the council of wisdom, we're turning to other things. Elders are meant to lead the people by serving them in righteousness and truth. The body of Christ is meant to be ministered to in righteousness, in truth, in love, the scriptures say. And any time that the, the generation of elders, spiritual elders, begin rejecting the counsel of wisdom, begin stopping from sitting together in wise counsel and collectively seeking the heart of the Father, when elders begin in a generation to think they have all the answers and that there's nothing they need to receive from somebody else, the body of Christ is going to begin to suffer. And we're living in that generation where those that have been given revelation from God are beginning to reject sitting in the council of wisdom. More than any other generation, we have the opportunity, because of the way we can travel, a number of different ways the way we can travel, we have the ability to commune in spirit and truth with the Lord corporately and with one another, where we are supposed to be sharing the wise counsel and the gifts and callings are meant to move in great unity where we're not. The body of Christ is fractured and fragmented, and those that have a piece of the revelation of God don't want to yield to what anyone else has to say, and the body of Christ is suffering. And what's going to happen in that generation if we don't turn from that is the revelation that God is pouring out in this generation will begin to fall by the wayside. It will be words of truth spilled to the ground. So I'm encouraging all of you in the body of Christ not to look to those that are called to serve and minister to you. For you, for yourselves, to seek out and to embrace wise counsel. Now, I know many of you are saying, I don't have anyone I can sit with, David. Don't you think I would? I barely have anyone I can even fellowship with, or I'm even in isolation. I know many of you don't have true intimate fellowship, uh, that many of you are alone. Uh, I've always encouraged you, find anyone that you can pray with. The body of Christ is meant to begin coming together in this generation. But for many of you, that has not, simply has not taken place, um, that, that you're not blessed with the privilege, the honor of, of true fellowship, of any type of intimacy with the body of Christ. And so you're saying, well, how can I, I can't get any wisdom. I can't even get fellowship. How can I get wisdom? How can I sit with someone who's a mature believer? I just want to pray with anyone. I understand. I understand. And the Lord is raising up those in this generation that will begin to impart wisdom. Here is what I'm saying, and here's how you can sit with wisdom, okay? Here's how each member of the body of Christ can sit with wisdom. The number one way in which we begin sitting in the council of wisdom is we embrace his nature. We must embrace the nature of our Heavenly Father. That is number one. I'm going to explain that. God is love, 
and God is good. He is a good father. To the degree we begin embracing this reality, we begin aligning ourselves with his heart. It is impossible to walk in wisdom. Scriptures talk about the futility of darkened thinking. The futility of our minds is the carnal-minded man which we die to. In whatever area we are rejecting his words about himself, about us, and about his heart and his thoughts toward heaven and earth, we are closing ourselves off to hearing his wisdom. And this is something I want to I share with you guys. Guys, hearing his voice is not hard. It is not difficult. What is a challenge, what is difficult is to hear, see, and feel his heart. Hearing his voice is easy. It's a practice of getting quiet, learning how to tune into your spiritual senses. What makes us think it's difficult is because we don't embrace his heart. We have rejected those that have attempted prophetically to share the heart of the Father. Those that share what's on the Father's heart in love and in truth are few and far between. It has twisted the way the body of Christ perceives our Heavenly Father. And whatever area we are seeing him with darkened thinking, it will twist and distort what our spirit is trying to get into our minds. That's why we think it's so hard to hear his voice. Because when we're hearing something, it is passing through a belief system that is shattered and broken and opposes his nature and his truth. Okay, so the number one thing to get back in alignment with his heart is understand God is love and God is good. Now, here's what I am not saying. I'm not saying because God is love and God is good, he likes sin, right? That's a ridiculous ditch that we jump to. And it, 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 there's no basis for it in an intelligent loving conversation amongst believers. There's no place for it. He loves us so much, he sent his son to redeem us from sin. End of story, done. We can put that conversation to bed. There's no reason when we say God is love and God is good that we need to begin talking about what does that mean God doesn't care if we sin. It's, I say this in love, guys, it's a foolish discussion. It's a foolish argument. We don't even have to go there. He hates sin. That's why in his goodness and love, he sent his son. And this leads us into the next point. Psalm 37.30 says, The mouth of the righteous utter wisdom, and their tongues speak what is just. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now here's my rhetorical question to you guys. When you look when you read, ponder those two verses, the mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. And the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. What comes to mind is your definition of a righteous man? I want you to stop and think about that. If you need to pause this or if you're listening live, I'll give you a couple more seconds. <laughs> what comes to mind? What is your definition of a righteous person? Okay, this is the key to begin walking in the counsel of wisdom. If we begin looking to what a righteous person is based upon what a righteous person does, we're under the old covenant. 
We're either under the Davidic, Mosaic, Adamic, Noahic, Abrahamic, or the law. We are not under the new covenant. We are, if we are thinking righteousness is based upon anything we do, we have rejected the reality of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Now I know that is grinding gears. I can, I can perceive it. Guys, I didn't say it. That's the word of God. New covenant thinking, the number one way that opens the gateway to walking by the spirit of wisdom is found 2 Corinthians 5.21, Colossians 1.21, Romans 8.9, which all state that the blood of Jesus Christ made us righteous. And because we are made holy and blameless and sinless, the Holy Spirit now has permission to fellowship with purity, and he came to live inside of our temples. He can only come and abide where there is no sin. That's why he made his abode inside our spirit man, because we've been cleansed. You can't remove the sinless nature that was given to us freely by the blood of Jesus Christ from the new covenant. To do so means you're rejecting the reality of the Holy Spirit in us because the Holy Spirit cannot commune with sin. Now understand, there's two aspects. There's positional righteousness and relational, right? I'm not talking about how we're living. I'm talking about what the cross freely gave us. We've become the righteousness of Christ. So Psalm 37, 30, and James 5, 16 Every person who is a new, born, a born-again believer who has received Jesus genuinely as their Messiah, as their Savior, as the propitiation for their sins, has the Holy Spirit living inside of them and qualifies as being a righteous man or woman. To the degree we embrace that reality, we begin opening ourselves up to receiving the counsel of the Lord because we cannot in divine intelligence, if we do not understand who we are. It cannot be done. If we are seeing ourselves differently than what the Lord says, our minds are taking us down a pathway he cannot commune with. Now, in his grace, he's constantly trying to get a hold of us to say, hey, David, I want you to look at this. David, I want you to examine this belief system. David, I'm going to begin putting some real challenging things in your life to break up that hardened ground and begin changing your thinking. That's his goodness and his mercy. But in the end, intimacy, having a fellowship that comes with it, divine intelligence, a fellowship with God that reveals his heart. There are people that can hear the voice of God that do not fellowship in intimacy. They have the ability to hear what he's saying. They don't have the, they, they're not yielding to his heart. Angry people, a lot of angry people in the body of Christ in this generation who really have very little idea of, of what's on dad's heart, what his interests are, and what the big picture is. A lot of angry people. <laughs> he's changing that. He's working on it. He's working on it. Guys, understand this, please. Well, let's look at what... <laughs> John 1, 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, 
purifies us from all sin. Now, please understand, we're talking about walking in darkness. It's not works, guys. It's in our minds. The Bible, every place where it talks about our relationship with God, it starts with the mind. When we understand who we are in the new covenant, we'll begin to see John 1, 6 here, not about what we do, but about our thinking, because our thinking will ultimately determine our actions. Is Father interested in our actions? Yes, as a byproduct of our thinking. Intimacy starts with our thinking coming into alignment with his, and it ends with actions that reflect his desire in heaven. It starts with our thoughts. It ends with our actions. If it starts with our actions, it is dead works. It's legalism. That's why Jesus said, you Pharisees that do everything perfect are filled as dead men's bones, your white sepulchers. That was Jesus' words. Their actions were perfect. They didn't violate any of the Mosaic law or the hundreds of extra laws the Sadducees and Pharisees created in self-righteousness. They were experts in the law. Paul said, I was an expert amongst my peers, excelling in the Pharisees. They were dead men's bones walking around. The same way in the body of Christ today, if we are focused on actions and not aligning our hearts, we will never enter into the counsel of the Lord. Now, should we have others around us that can teach us that? Yeah, we should. And if there's those of you out there that, that, that have the, the blessing of proper biblical and, and God-intended fellowship, that, can, that you are blessed. You're blessed, and don't scorn that. And understand that those people that are there in your life are no better than you. We are all the righteous of Christ. We're all in this together. Yield yourself to their counsel. That's the heart behind what Hebrews says. Yield yourselves to those who have a place of influence among you. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says that. That's the proper translation of that. We yield ourselves. Me as a... As a as an elder in the body of Christ, someone who, who, who is learning all the time, but in my place, the time has come. I'm meant to share and impart and teach and instruct. It is never our job. It's never my job to tell someone else what to do. I'll never do it. It's not going to happen. I will strongly ask someone to prayerfully consider what I believe the Lord is speaking because I don't like to speak out of opinion. If I don't hear from God on something, I don't have an opinion on it. Uh, so those who say, what's your opinion on it? If God doesn't speak to me, I don't have an opinion. Period. No, no opinion. It's not my place to force anything on someone else. And then conversely, when I am yielding myself to others that I know have a place to speak into my life, I have the same approach. Family, tuning into the counsel of wisdom, and that starts with our thinking. So a couple other scriptures, guys, and, and understand this, please, going back, pulling this in, right? New covenant thinking is the number one way we open up the doorway and welcome the spirit of wisdom. We welcome hearing his voice. We welcome understanding his heart. We have divine intelligence is by our thoughts aligning up with his of who we are as children of God, being made righteous and holy and blameless. Understand this, the prophe- prophecies of all the old other covenants, We're pointing to the covenant where the Holy Spirit would live inside of us. It is the culmination of what was lost in the garden. It's 
intimacy. We live in a covenant that is better than every other covenant. We need to stop identifying with the covenants that the people that longed, that lived back then, they longed for our covenant, the scriptures say. It says the men of God who walked in divine intimacy with the Lord, they saw through prophetic vision. Remember, prophecy is the heart of God revealed. They saw what was to come the day that Messiah, the day that Jesus would give us the the right for the Holy Spirit to come inside of us. They longed for this covenant, and we are constantly drawing upon the covenant they wanted to get out of. Got it backwards, guys. All right. He loves us. He loves you guys so much. He's a loving God. He's a good God. He sent his son to redeem us from sin so that he can have intimacy with us. That's love. Okay, Ephesians 4.17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. What is Paul saying to the church in the region of Ephesus? What separates them? He wants them to become separated in the way they think. Don't live like the Gentiles do. What? In their actions? No, in the futility of their thinking. Guys, it is our thinking that determines whether we walk by the satanic, fallen mindset that was instituted at the fall of Adam and Eve, or whether we begin to walk by the kingdom of God as his ambassadors on the earth. That starts in our thinking. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness? We often think that that means that we shouldn't be around people that are lost. That again, contextually, that's really silly because Jesus says, I'm not saying you should leave the world. One of the last things he told his disciples before the Holy Spirit came was I'm not telling you to leave the world. I'm telling you to be in the world, but not of its nature. We're to go into the world as ambassadors of bringing the kingdom. The context of 2 Corinthians 6.14 is intimacy, guys. We seek wise counsel. We seek the inner circle, not casual acquaintances. I love meeting backslidden, drunken drug addicts. I, that's, one of the, that's what I do all the time because they have no one. They have no one. They need to see the image of a good and loving dad. They see that only to the degree that the body of Christ is willing to reflect it. And we can only reflect it to the degree we possess it in our thinking. We possess it in our hearts. It's not talking about not being around people that are ungodly. It's talking about intimacy of fellowship. One of these days I'm going to tear apart the whole mess of scriptures. We keep doing it little by little. I'd love maybe one night just to take a bunch of those, Curry Blake would call it, sacred cows. I just love that. <laughs> anyway, okay, by walking in his truth about who he is, I'm going to finish up about what the blood has done for us. That is what releases wisdom. That's releases divine intelligence and understanding. Now we can look at the true depth, the application of one of the most quoted scriptures talking about the mind in the New Testament is Romans 12:2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's Romans 12 saying? As we change our thinking, it will transform us. Then we will know his will. Why? Because we're walking in intimacy. We are imparted with divine intelligence, divine understanding. And with that comes intimacy where we understand, see, perceive, and we commune with what's on his heart. So as we continue to remove from our lives more and more of the counterfeit, of the darkened thinking, we will begin to walk in greater and greater wisdom. Number one, in a summary, guys, the purpose of wise counsel is to have divine knowledge, which is the doorway to even greater intimacy with our Father. We sit in wise counsel by two ways. One, by submitting to spiritual truths. We have to understand that God is love and God is good. And the second is that the cross made us righteous and holy and blameless and beyond reproach. I've had many, many, many people reach out to me, many people asking, how do I walk in more wisdom? And I can relate to that desire because I ask the Lord pretty much every day. It's a cry of my heart. I want more wisdom because more of his divine heart comes greater passion to fellowship with him, his greater intimacy, and it's the ability to be able to reach more and more of his children that need that touch, whether they're other Christians or whether they're the lost. So for those of you that are seeking wisdom, which is such a precious gift and such a precious birthright, God is love and God is good. Many times you need to hammer that out and surround yourself with verses that talk about that and stop allowing Satan and foolish teachings to cause you to go off into unbiblical extreme doctrines. Right? There's no greater expression of his goodness and love that he sent his son to redeem us from sin. End of story. So we don't need to go there anymore. We don't need to prove our apologetics to people. He wants your heart. He wants you to commune in spirit and in truth that starts in our thinking. Begin to embrace who you truly are, what covenant we live in. So, to the degree we embrace these realities, we will begin walking not in counterfeit wisdom, but in true wisdom, in the wisdom of his heart, in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. James 3, 17, 18, and you want to look that up, talks about what true wisdom looks like and some of the blessings of it. For those of you that want to get your juices up, all right, I'll read it to you. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness are some of the byproducts of walking in wisdom. And that starts to really look like the earth ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I want. That's the desire of my heart. That intimacy with the Lord. So, Dorothy, uh, do we have anyone with any questions along those lines before we close out? I went 15 minutes over. So tough to get under a half hour. 
You still with well, me, Dorothy? Well, it takes as long as it takes. Um, no, no questions. Okay. No hands up in the queue, so we're good to go. All right. That well, as always, I welcome all of you. Send me, um, you know, emails. Uh, reach out to me. Um, many of you guys have such wonderful questions and sincere desire of your hearts to grow in that, and I am honored and blessed to be in this journey with all of you guys together. So feel free to reach out to me anytime. And uh, I know sometimes it takes a while for me to get through my emails. I will always get back to you guys. Always get back to you guys. So, Dorothy, you have a wonderful weekend, and hopefully you cool off a little bit. That would be nice. <laughs> Want to make sure you're still with me. I know we were having, uh, we were having connect- connection problems earlier on, so... You guys, God bless. Have a wonderful weekend. Dorothy, I'll catch up with you, and, and Lord willing, and the water don't rise, we will meet back here in a couple of weeks, and we will talk about uh, more things about what's on the Father's heart and how we can continue to come together in the body of Christ. So until then, all of you guys, God bless. Know that you are loved. I bless you in his name. Peace. Above all, know that you're loved. And Dorothy, I will speak to you too uh, soon. As always, it's an honor. All right. Good night, everyone. Father bless. This has been Zeal Fear House. I'm David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. We were hoped that you were blessed by this week's broadcast. Again, if this was your first time, please stop by my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's D-W-M-U-R-R-Y.com for additional teachings and insights. God bless you, and until next time, please dare to accept the fact that your heavenly dad loves you deeply. Thank you.